I just want to take a moment before I jump in, I just want to welcome again those that are on our online campus. Do you know that since we started our online campus really beefed it up, we have people visiting from multiple states and multiple nations, and I can't mention everybody, but I want to tell you something. Ever since we went online, I've got my friend Irma from Chicago that tunes in every single Sunday, never been to Lufkin, Texas, but Irma, you're part of our church family, and someday I'm going to come visit you, Irma. We're going to just surprise you one day just at your front door. In fact, go look right now. We're actually there. No, I'm kidding. We're not. We're not. But I was just thinking about you, Irma, when I said, you know, brave in the elements of the sleet and snow, you're in Chicago. And you're like, oh, you're just praying for us Texans right now. So anyway, we're glad to have you and everybody else joining us on our online campus. Please feel free to follow along with the Timber Creek app. You can fill in the blanks right there on your worship guide. You can fill in the blanks on the back. That helps us. You know, some people call us the blankety blank church. It's because of those blanks. I promise. It's just because of those blanks. So, hey, we are in a new series and I want to jump right in and ask you a question about what, what you think. And, and, it's, and it's this. Our culture currently, our current culture is moving. What do you think? Is it moving closer to God or further away from God? How many of you think we're moving closer to God? How many of you think we're moving further away from God? Okay, now if you're at the Lufkin location or if you're another location, it was a big majority that said further away. I want you to know that it's not a one or the other. There is a tension. There is a dance that we're in. There are seasons where we're getting closer and then seasons where we're taking two steps back. And I can tell you that every single culture that's ever existed, ours only a couple of hundred years old, we have had those same intensities, those same um, shifts in culture where we may be hot and then we drift into lukewarm. We're all like sheep. We go astray. And there are seasons where we get closer and then seasons we get further away as a culture. And when I talk about culture, I'm not just talking about these United States of America. I'm talking about every concentric circle from out there and as far as our globe to our nation, to our community, to our homes, to our marriages, to our own heart where the culture of our heart and the culture of our family, the culture inside the doors of our own homes, there's seasons where we're drilling in and getting closer and other seasons where we feel like maybe the ceiling is brass and God, where are you? And there were times where God is good and times where, where are you, God? In the middle of the culture we're living in, we're, we've been in a season of losing spiritual geometry not really knowing what's right or what's left, what's right or what's wrong. And the question I wanna to pose today as we launch into this five-week series is this, how do we stand strong in a culture of compromise? In a culture that's inviting you to gamble away with the next action, activity, or rant on Facebook, any of your reputation or character, how do we stand strong in the faith? How do we keep our witness? How do we maintain being salt and light in a world that desperately needs salt and light while not being compromised, losing our saltiness or letting that light be hidden in a dark place? How do we stand strong in a culture of compromise? The key is intentional living. Now intentional, we're using this change or the shift on the spelling of this word because life is full of tensions. There are these tensions that we feel, this pull and this 
push? Do you know that physiologically your body really wouldn't act the way it needs to act without a certain amount of tension? Your body is a complex system of pulleys and belts. And if you didn't have the tendons and the ligaments and the muscles and the tension within your skeletal system, you would be like a a pool of protoplasm and epidermis on the floor. You need healthy tension to keep things aligned and moving in the right direction. In the same way, not just physiologically, but mentally, emotionally, spiritually, we are living in tensions. One of the key tensions that a Christ follower lives in is this tension between who Jesus is and his conduct, his convictions and his character and the tension between who I am. Because who I am is not who Jesus is. Now, I want to, you know, I am who you say I am, but sometimes I am not. (laughs) At least I don't act according to the title I've been given. And I feel this tension between wanting to become more like Christ and wanting to get my last word in edgewise. Wanting to be more like Jesus and wanting to slam that next person because I'm gonna be right. You better get off the tracks when the train's coming through. The difference between the tension of going all in for Christ or going all in with the flesh and every single one of us deal with it. There's not a pastor. There's not a a parishioner. There's not uh, a uh, guy or girl, young or old, in the faith a long time, brand new Christian who doesn't feel the tension in which we're living and the tension of a Christ-centered life trying to find Jesus more and more every day. Jesus understood this tension. Jesus invades our space and lives in this kind of tension. In other words, Jesus felt the tension of being 100% completely human, left heaven for earth, born of a virgin, completely 100% in humanity, but he also was completely divine. So there were times where he he would uh, talk to Martha when Lazarus died and he would be completely divine and give Martha what she needed in that moment to say, Martha, I know your, your brother died and you said if I'd been here earlier, maybe things wouldn't happen like that, but I wanna tell you, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. He's completely divine in that moment. And then Martha's sister, Mary, comes to him and asks him the same question. Why didn't you come sooner? Had you come sooner, maybe he would have lived. And the shortest verse in the Bible shows the complete humanity of Jesus. John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. In the same story, he gives us the divinity and the humanity, the truth and the tears. Jesus is full-bodied. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full, not have it to the extreme. And if we're ever living in a day, we're living, we're living in an extreme. We got to have extreme everything, extreme, the extreme thrill ride, extreme strength, Tylenol, whatever. It's extreme. It's like, take this Tylenol and almost die, but you won't have a headache anymore extreme. And God says, I've come that you might have life and not live it to the extreme because that's without tension. That's, that's wired one way and not the other. And Jesus is inviting us to this rhythm and flow. He's inviting us into this tension between understanding that we engage humanity, but he also, his spirit living into, in us helps us engage his divinity and we live intentional lives. Jesus is a lion and there's power and there's strength and there's authority and he's the king. And he's also a lamb that is brought to slaughter for the 
foundations of the earth were even formed, he died for you. Jesus is 100% grace, but he's also 100% truth. Many times us as Christ followers, we really like the grace of God, leaning into the grace of God. It's okay, boys will be boys. You killed three people. <laughs> Jesus is grace. You can live how you want. God's not mad. God will, it'll be all right. You know, just live however your truth is. And there's grace in that season, but he's not, he's not like 100% grace, 0% truth. He's 100% grace and he's 100% truth. And many people really like the 100% grace God. They don't so much like the 100% truth God. And yet Jesus shows us that he's both, that he can love you, but also call you out. That he can also cut you deep and do surgery on you, but then wrap your wounds and heal you, even carry you. Jesus has a will that is in heaven and the way he sees it in heaven, we pray the Lord's prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the tension between what Jesus sees and what, what is really happening, there are things that he sees in heaven that if we're not obedient, they don't happen on this earth. And not only does Jesus understand tension, but you and me, we understand tension. And we, if, if you begin to, now listen, listen, let me just, let me, time, time out, time out, pause. If you're here and you're investigating the claims of Christ and you don't know about all this kind of following Jesus thing, number one, you've come to the right place. You come to the right place. We, we are a safe place you can find and follow Jesus. But if you're saying, uh, I don't know, I just came with a friend. I just, you know, something to do. You know, I just thought I'd get out and brave the elements. I want you to know you don't have to do anything with what I say today. You, you don't have to like feel like I've got to, if you don't want to live this way, you don't have to. But if you're here and you say, I want Jesus to be the center of my life. I, I want to be what the world would say is a Christian, a follower of the way of God through his son, Jesus. You don't get to opt out. You, you, you don't get to say, it's, 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 it's necessary for us. And you and me, if we're gonna say, I wanna follow Jesus, then we understand the tension between being in the world and living in the world and being salt and light in the world, but, but not of the world. That, that, we're not, that we're not just looking just like the world looks in every single thing to the point where we lose our saltiness and we hide our light. You and I are living in the tension between that which is seen, what you can see with your own eyes and understand with your own intellect, intellect and that which is unseen. This we see with our eyesight. This we see with our insight. One has to do with the external in our eyes. The other one has to do with the heart and the emotions and the attitude. And Jesus invites us into a place that I know things look this way, but can you go beyond what you see and trust me to see things that you don't see? And you know what we say? No. No, I gotta see it for myself. Even Thomas, Tommy, Tommy boy, he doubted. He said, I gotta see it with my own eyes. And Jesus comes in, shows him what he needs to believe. But he also says, blessed are those that can believe without seeing. There's something about insight. You and I are called to live in the tension of being knowers of the word, to know the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's a book for me. I stand up on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E, Bible. But also be doers of the word. And can I tell you that, we have kind of designed church these days for a lot of people to know the word, but not do the word. And Jesus, even in his Sermon on the Mount, his vision series of way life should be, he says, those that know the word, but don't do anything, you're like a contractor that builds an entire house, a mansion on sand. Good luck with that. 
Hope that turns out well, because when the rain comes down and the floods come up, that house isn't gonna survive if you just know the word. Even the devil knows the word. You're like, don't bring my spouse into this. <laughs> you know? They may know the word, but they're not doers of the word. You and I live in the tension of being quick to listen. God, Jesus himself says, be quick to listen, slow to speak. But we like to be quick to speak, <laughs> okay? Like I know, I know we're supposed to be quick to listen, but if I don't stand up and say what needs to be said, nobody else will. So I put it on me as though, you, as though God ordained you to be the mouthpiece, end all, be all. That sometimes the reason why you, you are not getting across is because you're not listening. And part of getting your point across many times is not in you typing the right thing on Facebook. It's about listening in the right relationships before you say anything. God gave you two ears and one mouth. Think about the ratio. Listen twice as much as you talk. It does a lot of good. The Bible says, Jesus himself says, I'm, I'm taking you as sheep among wolves, that tension. So I want you to be wise as serpents, wise, shrewd as a snake, agile, able to move around. You're like, we don't have like snakes around here. That's the devil in the garden. Take it up with Jesus. He said, be wise as a serpent. Sna be, a, be a snake. I don't mean a snake in the grass. Be like a wise, like. <laughs> just, just, just take it easy. Figure it out. Be wise. Harmless as doves. See, especially in today's uh, political climate, we're wanting to be shrewd like snakes. Ain't no room for harmless as doves. And you are actually missing a full body bouquet of who Jesus has called you to be just so you can be like a snake. And God's called you to not just be a snake. He's called you to be a dove. He's called you to be a snake and a bird, a snake bird. Timber Creek snake birds, it's our new mascot. <laughs> Timber Creek snake birds established 1927. Hit the ground flying. Okay. You're welcome, America. We're gonna make a t-shirt out of that. How many of my boys will wear? How many of my girls will wear a t-shirt? If I, if I make you Timber Creek Snake Birds t-shirts, okay? All right, all right, all right. Okay, noted, noted. <laughs> We're living in the tension between the spirit of God who woos us, but also the spirit of darkness. Our, our wrestle is not against flesh and blood alone. And there's some flesh and blood that you're wrestling with but there's also a wrestle against spiritual darkness, a true enemy that's out to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full, but, but the enemy has come prowling like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And you have the spirit of God and the spirit of darkness. And in the Bible, we hear about the spirit of God and the spirit of darkness. When talking about the spirit of darkness, especially in the Old Testament, it's referred to in this geographical thing of the spirit of Babylon because God had created the nation of Israel and they had been under attack by the other cultures and the Babylonian culture at some point takes them over. And there was two kingdoms at war in the entire Bible and it's still a kingdom that's at war within us, a tale of two kingdoms, the spirit of God and the spirit of Babylon. Write this down in your notes. Whatever God creates, Satan counterfeits. Whatever God creates, even in the garden of Eden, he says, hey, 
every single day. You can have food, sit with me. We'll be in community. You can sit and eat with me. Let's have, let's have dinner every night. Let's have dinner every night. Let's have communion every night. Satan comes in and says, God, did God really say? And he gives them a different communion. He gives them a different table to sit at. He gets them a different meal. Yay, why don't you come in and you eat this fruit and then, then you'll be like, God, he's got, uh, instead of God being all-knowing, all-powerful, omniscient, you can be all-powerful, all-knowing and omniscient. And for the low price of giving everything away for the rest of humanity, you can be like God too. Whatever God creates, Satan counterfeits. And as we jump into the series today, we're going to look at a particular real character proven through archeology span and history way beyond just the pages of the Bible, a true story, true kingdom, and it's the book of Daniel. And this book, the first six books are about the history and the narrative of Daniel's life and his three amigos against the infamous El Guapo. No, it's Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, but he's El Guapo, okay. And you have Daniel and his three amigos and you've got Nebuchadnezzar and the spirit and the kingdom of Babylon. And write it down, Daniel is a story about the tension between two kingdoms. That's what this story is all about. We're only gonna go through the first six chapters in these next five weeks. It's gonna be, it's gonna be running like crazy. It's gonna be like trying to fit a rhino into a shoebox, all that we could talk about, okay? But what I'm hoping is that we'll understand how we can truly, by the grace of God and by the truth of God, stand strong in a culture of compromise. So let's, let's identify this spirit of Babylon that isn't just tucked away into the history of the word of God. That spirit of Babylon, that culture of Babylon, that, that's anti-Christ, anti-God. It's existed from the beginning of time and exists, even though this great nation was founded on godly principles, the spirit of Babylon is at work at this moment in our culture, regardless of who's in the White House, regardless of who's in Congress or in the Senate, regardless of Supreme Courts, regardless of how you voted or you didn't vote, there is a spirit of darkness uh, that is unleashed in this world right now because we're living in a fallen world and the spirit of God is still inviting us to be in that world and understand that culture, but not be of it. So the spirit of, Bo uh, sp spirit of Bob, spirit of Babylon, spirit of Bob, some of you got the spirit of Bob. It's me, Bobby, spirit of Bobby. Spirit of Babylon, number one, wants to rule you. This culture wants to rule you and dominate you. And this story unfolds in Daniel chapter one. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, this is Israel, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord... The Lord, not Nebuchadnezzar, the Lord, not the soldiers, the Lord. The Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. Those articles that were just symbolic, that they really had tied a lot of superstition to, those articles, these, he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. There is a shift of value. There's a shift of identity. There's a shift of worship. And Nebuchadnezzar is carrying off not only their articles and their symbols of godly living. And here's the deal. Here's why that happened. Because 
even though they had symbols in the temple, those people weren't worshiping the one true God. You can have a cross around your neck, doesn't make a difference in your soul. Doesn't make a lick of difference. You can be here today and think about the big man upstairs. It makes no difference. Your attendance in church today, if it's just a superstitious thing, if it's just a check the box thing, it starts with the heart. And what had happened is the heart of the people of God had become cold and distant and drifted from the one true God. Now, here's a question, a tension that you're living in if you're in this age. Why would God create a nation? He goes to Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. Jacob's name is later changed to Israel. Those 12 sons represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And God gave a promise to Abraham, the great granddad of Jacob, pardon me, the the granddad of Jacob and Israel. He said, hey, this land right here in the Middle East, this is yours. You can have it. It is sec- it's sacred. It is dedicated to you. That is the promised land. I set it aside for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the descendants. You can have it. It's yours. Make sure you take it. And then they went into bondage for 400 years. And the story of Exodus is about them going and Joshua and Judges coming and taking back that land, the promised land dedicated to God. Why would God create a nation that was boundary lined, that was dedicated to them, and then allow it to be destroyed. Allow a king, Nebuchadnezzar, to come in and topple Jerusalem, topple the temple, put on the back of the donkeys, the communion cups and the the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy Altar and just take it and throw it into the temple of Dagon and and Babel and and, and, uh, uh, no no bed and all these other gods. Why, Why would he be okay with that? Why would God allow a nation he created to be destroyed? Well, because God disciplines those he loves. A parent disciplines those they love. And captivity in this understanding of history was God's wooden spoon to Israel. Now, what had they done done wrong? Why did they need discipline? This sounds so crazy small. But it's, it, this is why little things that we think are little sins or big sins, it all comes back to one major issue that is sin. And it's about the authority of God versus the act that I commit. He had said to them, listen, I give you this promised land. I give you this stuff. Every seven years, you got to rest. Rest every seven years. You guys are digging and you're planting crops and, and you're surviving on the bread. You're surviving, uh, you're surviving on, on the corn. You're surviving on the beans. You're surviving on all this stuff. But every seven years, you got to step back and remember, I'm your source for everything. And you got to rest and not be farmers, not be ranchers during that time. And do you know what they said? They said, no, no. God, that sounds like a good idea, but that doesn't make sense if I pencil whip it. That doesn't make quite sense. I, God, I know you said give the tithe, the 10%, but I'll ah, pencil whip that. And like, I, it's like more money if I have 100% versus 90%. And what they did, look, look, even in the garden, God says, work six days. And then on the seventh day, what did God do? Rested. Just last night at a friend's house and uh, Wi-Fi wasn't working. And so we went to IT 101. Everybody knows the first step. You don't have to have a degree to know IT 101. If your Wi-Fi ain't working, you don't got to (laughs) go binary code. You don't have to do that. (laughs) What you do is step one, unplug the router. And then what do you do? 
plug it back in. Brilliant! It's what we need in our nation. Just have we unplugged this thing? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's crazy. That's what God's doing. He's showing you work six days and then like unplug the router. You can't be going and going and going because why? Because he's trying to show them I'm your source, not you working like Hebrew slaves. But yet we do it. We still do it. And they disobeyed him, not for seven years, 14 years, 21 or 28. They disobeyed him for 490 years. Every seventh year after the 490 of those 490, they did, they never stopped. Now, why was God saying this? Because he was an amazing scientist. God is an amazing scientist. He's an amazing, he understands agriculture. And he's, he knows if you don't let the soil rest, it won't be as strong. It'll lose its nutrients. It'll, you need to let things rest so that it can come back. There's a reason why you need an off season. There's a reason why you need to lay down. There's a reason why the shepherd causes, makes me lie down in green pastures. There's a season of rest and God's saying, you're disobeying me. They disobeyed for 490 years. And so he says, fine, if you're not gonna learn it the way I taught it to you, I will teach it to you in a different way. And he puts them in a captivity for 70 years. Why 70? Because he is gonna get his every seventh year back whether you give it to him or not. Because every seven years, 70 times seven is 490 years. He's saying, okay, you're gonna learn a different way to trust me. You're gonna not learn it from rest and surrender. You'll learn it through captivity. And the truth is that there are gonna be seasons where we may learn the right way and we may learn the hard way. Just because you pray 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and heal this land and forgive their sin. Just because we say that doesn't mean that God's like floating down and just gonna give everybody a gold brick. Okay, okay, I'll heal everything. And you know what? Let me give you a stimulus package too. <laughs> there are times where God is gonna teach you the hard way. There are times where he's gonna say, you have so focused on your own systems of cultivation and agriculture, your own systems of political strength, your own systems of figuring it out on your own, whether you're red, whether you're blue, whether you're in between, all of these systems we've developed, we're pursuing the American dream. And God says, sometimes the American dream of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness isn't necessarily the dream I want you to dream. Sometimes it's a, a dream of sacrifice and surrender and trust and rest and knowing that God will be the one to give the increase. Now, I know this might already, you're already thinking about what you're gonna post on Facebook at the top of your thumbs. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, could it be that God's gonna teach us whether we are teachable or not? Whether, we'll, we'll, whether we learn the lesson or not, God teaches us in these seasons. The spirit of Babylon wants to rule you. Spirit of Babylon wants to train you. This, the spirit of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar could have wiped out the entire nation of Israel and just taken it over and just built his own teams. But what he did instead is he took the culture, the young generation, the next generation, the teenagers, and he pulled the teenagers out of their own homes, out of their families, out of their education system, and he began to brainwash and indoctrinate them. And that's where the rest of our story picks up in Daniel chapter one. The king ordered 
Ashpenaz. Now, can I give you a trick on how to uh, properly pronounce all the Bible characters? Say it with authority because nobody really knows whether it's right or wrong, okay? So if I just say Ashpenaz, Ashpenaz, whatever, you don't know, so, and neither do I. So, Ashy, old Ash right here. Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, the king ordered him to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family. Look at the kingdom intention. They left Israel and they were part of nobility and royalty. And they are stripped of that. And they're placed in the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar as slaves and servants. And they weren't just to be any old guys. They were to be young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was wanting the best of the best. And here's what he was going to do. He was to teach them language and literature of the Babylonians. So one of the very first things that Nebuchadnezzar does to rewire, reprogram, brainwash, and indoctrinate these slaves is he wants to get them to start talking a certain way, start thinking a certain way, start consuming content from their source of news. Does, are you making the, are you connecting the dots? No? Okay, all right, you may not get anything else out of this. I'm gonna get a lot off my chest. Like now, I wonder if that ever happens now. Yeah, it's called scrolling every day social media, the language and the literature of a different culture. Am I saying that, you know, if you're going to really live for Jesus, you got to open the Bible and just be bored all the time with the word of God. And the only time you're going to laugh is if you're laughing at how dumb the devil is. And you can't ever wear it. You don't you dare wear that Bon Jovi t-shirt. Bless God. You need to wear shirts with my face on them and a cross and make sure it says three nails, four given. I'm great with t-shirts. I'm, I'm great with three nails forgiven. What, what, what I'm not okay with is understanding the fact that we're in the world, but not of the world. And the culture we're living in is begging you to push aside everything and to take hook, line, and sinker, the language and literature placed to you on a silver platter right in your pocket on your smartphone every single day based on your own algorithms. So it just keeps feeding you what you want to hear, what you want to see, what you want to believe. And you are pushing aside what God has inadvertently and are being consumed, 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 consumed. Some of you, including me, you need to fast some social media. You've got to disconnect because you are in a tailspin of chasing the tail of what culture is inviting you to take. Slow down, step away. Daniel and his compadres didn't just go into a new place and just suck it all down. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. Listen, I've been to Israel. Can I be honest with you? Some of the food's really, really good. But there was this day where they're like, hey, we're not gonna be like kosher. And we're not gonna eat all this stuff. And we're going to a burger place. And I was like, ah! 
Like it was, it wasn't even that great of a burger. When I got to the Tel Aviv airport after 14 days in Israel and I saw the gates of heaven in the form of golden arches, I felt I had the Holy Spirit in that place. And I mean, it was just some chicken nuggets and a burger that didn't quite taste quite like America, but it was still, it was, ah. Here's what they're doing. Eat the food of the king. These guys are living on matzo balls and hummus, and they got some steak, and they got some chicken fried and tenders and mashed potatoes. And of course, it's Babylon, so it was Popeye's chicken. It wasn't Chick-fil-A. It was Popeye's chicken, but, but it was... Yeah. Now, now, let me just show you something. We do this too. We do this to train people up. We take our kids to college. We want them to learn the language and the literature of anybody that they think is important. Okay, I'm not against college. I've got college and above college education. What I'm saying though is, if we're not careful, we are not properly, and this is why it's a passion here at Timber Creek, we don't want to just teach your kids Bible stories in KidWorks. Why? Bless God, why? Because it don't really matter in, in freshman psychology and freshman philosophy whether Jonah was eaten by a fish or not. It's a story, it's in the Bible, and it's true. But what's going to happen is they need to understand the character, convictions, conduct of Christ, understand the word of God as the moral compass of every decision that they make. And we want to be the best partner we can be. We can't be you as a parent, but we will be a great partner in the development of their spiritual anchors and moorings. That's why it's important to get your kids into church on a consistent basis so that you're not alone and you got a great partner so that right over there, they're receiving Christ. They're getting more information. We're digging down into the principles, digging down into leadership of God digging down into who Jesus is so that when we step off out of TC youth and in, into a culture that wants to do nothing but steal, kill, and destroy and devour those moorings, and, 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 and we will have them stronger in their faith because we've been intentional with that. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. The spirit of Babylon wants to rule you, wants to train you. Spirit of Babylon, number, number three, wants to tempt and rename you. Here's where we pick up the protagonists of the story, the key characters of the story. Among those who were chosen to be these young guys in the king's palace were some from Judah, Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. Look at this. It wasn't just about the food they drank, the food they ate and the, and the wine they drank. It wasn't about just the literature and the language. They were gonna get all the way down into the core of who they are. They're gonna strip away their very identity. Identity is a big deal. I am who you say I am. That's a song that speaks to a core component of understanding God as creator and us as creation, identity is a big deal. Remember, whatever God creates, Satan counterfeits. And we see this take place as they are given new names. Daniel, his name means God is my judge. His parents saw him, they named him Daniel. And in Hebrew, God is my judge. I serve under and trust God. 
but his name given in Babylon was Belteshazzar. And his name means when interpreted lady, wife of a God, protect the king. His identity, even his gender identity is being questioned in this culture. In Hananiah, Yahweh has been gracious. Yahweh's been good, breath of God. Yahweh, the, the breath of God has been so good. And yet you're not gonna be, breath of God is so gracious. Your name is Shadrach, which means I am fearful of God. Instead of allowing the breath of God to be so close, I can feel it and he's, he's good, then I'm afraid. And so what do I do? I cower, I shrink back, I get away. I get past his voice where I don't even feel his breath on my cheek anymore because I'm afraid of God. And this culture wants to identify God as someone you ought to be afraid of instead of someone you ought to chase after that God is, is standing with, with, with a belt in his hand ready, ready to slap you in the face with it versus a God of open hands and open arms that, that jumps off of the porch waiting for you to come home and meet you right where you are. But this culture wants to rename things. Mishael means who is what God is. Like God is so big and so strong and so mighty, it's hard to even describe who is what God is. Like nobody compares to God. He's so good, he's so big, he's so awesome. And yet Meshach means I am despised and shameful before God. And I wonder if some of you are wearing a nickname Meshach and you don't even realize it. You, you had a guilt of a sin, but now you, you've asked Jesus to help you and he's forgiven you, but you keep wearing the shame. You keep wearing what feels like you were despised. You, you have these identities and these names that, that may not be your given name, but they're names you're living by because someone didn't say something or they said it and they said you wouldn't amount to it. You'll never get over that. You're wounded. You tell yourself in the, in the tape recorder of your mind that, that that happened to me. That loses my value. I, I will never be able to do that. I can't, could, could never be like that. I won't live up. My mom and dad expected me to be my older sister. And I'll never be like my older sister. I'll never be like my younger brother. I'll never be like that. But I'm the black sheep of the family. I'm the white sheep of the family. You name it. I'm just, I, it is what it is. And I can't ever live up to the name. And so you wear this shame that was never meant to be wear. And you take on an identity just like these guys that were forced into a new identity. Although I'll tell you, they never, they never spoke of themselves with those names. Every time in the book of Daniel, they never refer to themselves as the names that were given to them. Some of you, you've got to stop that. You're looking in the mirror and you're calling yourself the things God never calls you. And you need to declare who God says you are, not what this world or what mom or dad or what your spouse did or did not say you were. Azariah means Yahweh has helped. He's come in and he's served and he's gotten in with me and he's, he's helped me. Abednego means I'm a servant of a false God, Nebo. So it takes this distorted view of God is not there ready to help me, but I'm just there to cower in, in, the, in the shadow of a false God. God is a father. He's a father. This is why identity is such a big deal. When a church takes a stand on the word of God being the moral compass for life and allowing the word of God to be the cornerstone of, of understanding who we are and the way culture interacts. Identity is a huge piece in the word of God from personal identity, who I am in Christ, my gender identity, my sexual identity, what marriage and my identity as a husband or a wife, what that looks like, my identity as a son or daughter in the, of the king, my identity is such a big deal, not because it's some big deal here. 
a big deal because it's been the big deal since the beginning of time because the enemy and the spirit of Babylon wants nothing more than to try and twist and distort your understanding of who God has called you to be, your identity in him. There are three kind of people groups that we see starting to rise to the surface in this story. The godly believers like Daniel and his three amigos, the ungodly Babylonians who are just living like Babylonians. And then there's this, there's this middle group and it's the confused group. And they're believers, but they're living like the Babylonians. So Daniel and his crew, they said, we're gonna live like God in the middle of Babylonian culture. We're gonna live the way God's called us to live, live separate to stay away from certain things. And, and there were others that did not make that jump. And they, they were confused. They loved God. They wanted to do right with God, but they were living just like Babylonians. They just adopted the Babylonian culture, kind of hook, line, and sinker, because it was language and literature and three years and food and wine. And eventually it just made sense. It just makes sense to live like that. Why would you even talk against it? It's good food. It's good wine. It's good literature. I mean, okay, you can have truth for you, Daniel. This is truth for me. And all of a sudden everything gets relative and inadvertently it's just diving headfirst into a spirit of Babylon versus being wooed by the spirit of God. Listen, this was planned five weeks ago, this sermon. This has nothing to do with the last seven days of craziness in our nation. Can Can I just say to you, The way Christians have interacted with politics in this last season is confusing. Now, here's why. Here's why. Because when you see an image of a cross with a shroud over it of an American flag or a Trump flag or an elephant flag or a donkey flag, that's perverting the cross. Because in times where you're living as godly believers in a Babylonian culture, you can't bring confusion to everybody else. Because here's what happens. Instead of God being the king, whoever's in the White House, the way we act in Babylon begins to say, no, it's who's in the, the White House that's the true king. And this kingdom, just like Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, won't last forever. There is a king who does last forever. But if we're not careful, the way we go hook, line, and sinker, and we, mi- we mix, not that we shouldn't be Christians in the middle of politics. I thought we, we ought to be, in fact, we'll see that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were political leaders. They were, poli- they were in the governmental system. But they didn't just like trade everything in and all hell Nebuchadnezzar. They said, no, 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 it don't matter. One God we're going to bow to. One God we bow to. No other God. Nebuchadnezzar, can I tell you something? Babylon was booming. They were building cranes. Stock market was up. Interest rates were low. Things were cool in Babylon. All the food you could handle, all the stuff you could get. I mean, Babylon, Babylon's like, what happens in Babylon stays in Babylon. <laughs> like it's, it was kind of a, what? Like fun culture. Nebuchadnezzar had a real high view of himself. Huge high view of himself. How do I know that? He built a 90 foot statue of himself. He said, hey, everybody, I'm pretty cool. Bow to me. Next week, we'll dive a little bit deeper into the reality of how how do we, 
How do we stand strong when everybody else says bow? Okay. All right. Now, listen, if you have an issue with what I'm saying, please write me a letter. P.O. Box, North Pole. Let's talk about the spirit of God with the time we have left. Spirit of Babylon wants to rule you, wants to trample you, wants to tempt you and rename you. But the spirit of God was with Daniel. The spirit of God was with his three friends. And here's number one, the spirit of God sends you. It wasn't by accident that Daniel was sent into Babylon. God gave them into Babylon. They were to be God followers in the middle of a culture turned upside down. Remember what we said, we're to be in the world, but not of the world. Daniel is a perfect example. He's a teenager. He didn't live the 490 years. He didn't stop all the rest. At the most, he would have had two of those seven year rests that he didn't do because his parents weren't doing it. So like, why does he deserve to go through 70 years of captivity? Well, here's why, because innocent people, innocent people sometimes suffer. If you live long enough on this earth, you're gonna know innocent people sometimes suffer. But the same God who sends you into a season of testing, number two, that same spirit of God will strengthen you. Daniel got exactly what he needed when he needed it. It doesn't mean that he was saved from every lion's den. It doesn't mean he was saved from every persecution. It doesn't mean that he was saved from every issue, but he was strengthened by the hand of God in a culture turned upside down. Daniel 1 says in verse 8, Daniel resolved, chose. It's a choice. Choices lead, feelings follow. Resolved not to defile himself. I, I, I can learn all that. I'm not going to go down this road. Everybody's begging me to eat this food and eat this wine. And boy, it does smell good. And it's not, I mean, this ain't like, you know, Bartles and James. Like, this is the good stuff. Like, this is legit king's liquor. Okay. This is like legit steak. Okay. We're not talking about Golden Corral, we're talking about Ruth Chris. He wasn't gonna defile himself with the royal food and wine and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Daniel begins to infiltrate his work and his work becomes his place of witness and worship. In this culture, your place of work is a place where you can have witness and worship. That you can be separate. Don't, don't, don't. Don't be weird, okay? That's like my number, like it's not even in your notes. Just write it down. Don't be weird. Don't be a weird Christian. But resolve, resolve. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be salt and light, but I'm also gonna hold true to, to what God is calling me to be, who God's calling me to be. Now, when Daniel said, hey, I, I, he, he says, he asked the p- official for permission. He didn't kick open the door of the official and say, hey, I'm not doing what you say to do it, bless God. I'm gonna have it my way. Y'all gonna take this from me. I'm gonna eat my matzo balls. I'm gonna eat my hummus and my pita bread, bless God. He had no choice. He was a slave. So he had to figure out humility. Humility is an earmark of a Christ follower. We need humility, everybody, in these days and ages. Permission not to defile. He asked permission. Now, now, that doesn't mean that you, you have to get permission. He chose. Even when they said, don't pray, we'll, we'll learn a little later. They said, don't pray. Guess what Daniel did? He prayed. He prayed. And he didn't pray like, no, I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Like he like busted open the doors and he just simply, he, he, wherever he prayed every day, it was right there where everybody saw. He just, he, he made, he said, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hide it under a bushel. No, I'm gonna let it shine. The 
chief person over him, I'm afraid, my Lord, the king who's assigned your food and drink, why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? If you don't eat the food and the wine of the king's table, you're gonna look worse. What an assumption that we make even today. If I don't stand true to the character and conduct and convictions of Christ, I'm not gonna look as good as everybody else. What, what a false assumption that the other young men your age, the king would then have my head because of you. Don't do this, Daniel. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Start and stop. Part of fasting for 21 days is a testing time of connecting to God in prayer, disconnecting with a fast from the world for 10 days. Something powerful about 10 days, 10 days from the resurrection to the day of Pentecost, 10 days from uh, 10, 10 commandments. They were a time of 10 days. There's something powerful about testing for 10 days. And after that, compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food. Treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So if, if it don't work, it don't work. We're putting God to the test, not us. So he agreed and tested them for how many days? And at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were, I love this scripture. This ought to be a 2021 for some of us. They were better in appearance and fatter in flesh. Listen, listen, why can't we live back like that? You know, some of us want to reverse that curse. Like we should be better in appearance because we're fatter in the flesh. Come on, 2021, the year of fatter in the flesh. Amen. No, okay. Anyway, maybe not. And what happens is to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. Your kids don't need to be sheltered as much as they need to be learned. They are, it's okay to learn things that are crazy scary. I can't, where'd you hear that word? Where'd you hear that word? L learning a word that would be considered by you inappropriate is actually an opportunity for us to teach a deeper level of understanding of what's wise to say and what's unwise to say. Learning something, listen, your kids are gonna learn about sex. And if you think that the time to talk about it is when they're this, year, this old, the time to talk about them is this old. Because we're living in a day and age that wants to indoctrinate your kids as quickly as possible. They're gonna learn. And so these four young men, they were true even though they learned from literature and all kinds of learning. And at the end of the time, set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar the king talked with them and he found none, nobody equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. They were set apart. They lived in the tension and they were, there was nobody like them. They were, they were excellent. Now, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them 10 times better than all his magicians. And Daniel remained there until the first year of king Cyrus. Now here's what this means as we wrap up today. Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. What does that mean? Here's what it means. Daniel outlived Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel was a teenager when he went. He was, an, he was 80 years old when that kingdom toppled. You and I can outlive the culture in which we live. We are in this world, but we're not of this world, everybody. And why, why, why is he able to outlive this culture? Because number three, the spirit of God sustains you wherever you are. The spirit of God sustains you. Cody, play some music. Turn it up. Here we go. Cody is sustaining some music in this moment, using a sustain pedal and some synthesizer. And, and it kind of fills 
fills the room. Okay, stop. And again, I just love that because you can like have a, a God moment, like go ahead. Hey, everybody. It, it, it does make it, 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 setting the temperature of a place makes a difference. Turn it off. God has a plan for your life. He loves you and he sees you and he knows you and he calls you by name. God has a plan for your life. He sees you, he knows you, he calls you by name. I mean, it's just, now is, is that, is that uh, um, twisting you? No, it's setting the tone. It's setting the tone. The Lord will take a note in your life that may be discord, but he will sustain you with his grace. He'll wound you and do surgery with his truth. He'll sustain you with his grace. You have to trust him, but he'll also have tears with you. The spirit of God will sustain you. And the truth is there is no kingdom on this side of the lake. There's no, there's no American, there's, there, there is no United States, there's no other kingdom, there's no dedicated territory that's gonna outlive the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is eternal. And if you will put both feet firmly planted, number one, where there's one true king, there's one true allegiance, there's one true focus, and it's God and God alone in my both of my feet are planted in the kingdom of heaven. Even though I'm living in the kingdom of this world, the spirit of God will sustain you because the spirit of God outlives any political preference, any national situation, any government, any authority, any rule. His reign is eternal. So we finish it up with this. Who, who am I in this story? When my kids were younger and we gave them like little, you know, superheroes to play with, they, they don't, they, they want to be the superhero when they're playing. They don't want to be like, you know, just the, the bystander on the road. They want to be Captain America. I mean, I don't know if there's any like little girls that are like, you know, what do you want to do for Halloween? I want to be the evil stepsisters in Cinderella. No, they don't want to be the evil stepsisters. They want to be Cinderella. You don't want to be Gertrude or whoever that is. We love to be the hero in the story. We wanna be the Hulk smash. We wanna be Captain America. We wanna be Iron Man. And in this story, if we're not careful, we can preach it this way. Come on, let's be a Daniel in this generation. Let's be a Daniel stand up against the fire. Come on, let's be a Daniel up against Nebuchadnezzar. Like, can I say who you aren't and who I'm not? I'm not Daniel and neither are you. Because when the, the heat is on, we don't live the life that Daniel lived purely. Let me tell you who I am in the story and who you are. I'm, a, I'm born a slave in Babylon. I was born into sin. I was born far from God. Even though he knit me in my mother's womb and has a plan for my life and from the very beginning, there is something in me that cries out for an Abba Father. There's something that cries out for more and people will fill that cry with all kinds of things that this life has to offer. But you and I are born a slave in Babylon. But slaves can be bought, purchased and freed. And God so loved you in your slavery that he would send his one and only son to pay the ultimate price, his own life, to free you and to adopt you into Christ. So that even though I am in the story, I'm a, I'm a slave in Babylon, I can take on the heart of Jesus and I'm adopted. And I have 
I'm not no name. A slave has no rights to property, but I am am an heir in the kingdom of heaven. Let me tell you who's a Daniel. Let me tell you who's Daniel. Jesus is Daniel. Jesus is a better Daniel. Jesus is the perfect Daniel. Do you know why? Because both Daniel and Jesus left glory and royalty and they both entered humility of poverty. Daniel and Jesus both left their homes into a dark world that opposed them. Daniel and Jesus both traveled with a few faithful friends through adversity and hardship. They both had their amigos. Both traveled, both were filled with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. Both had tremendous wisdom for making ethical decisions under cultural pressure. You know what happened to both of them? Both were wrongly accused and arrested on false charges. Daniel and Jesus both were placed in a pit with a stone covering the entrance. Daniel and Jesus both were miraculously delivered alive. And today, today, both Jesus and Daniel are both still alive and they're both living in a kingdom. Jesus is the king and Daniel is in his kingdom serving the great king. Daniel knew who he was and who God was, not in what this culture demanded he be. And God is inviting us to do and know and be the same, not because of what we could do, but because of who Jesus is in us. So here's our prayer today at our locations. I'm gonna ask Cody to sing a song. A little three-year-old girl introduced me to this song. And I want you just to listen to these words. Before we sing them out loud, just just listen to these words, because maybe you're living confused or maybe you're living one foot in Babylon and the other foot in God's kingdom. And he wants to resituate you and rename you. He wants to give you your true identity. That's, that's the business he's in, is making all things new. Go ahead, Cody. Go ahead, team. He's making you new. He's making you new. He's healing your heart right where you are. If only you knew. He is lifting your shame. He is changing your name. And when you in making you brand new making you brand new he's making you Now let's sing this together. We're singing this over our families. We're singing this over our heart. We're singing this over their culture. We're honoring God. Let's sing this together. He is making you new. 
Would you close your eyes and bow your heads with me at all of our locations? The truth is, the way he makes you new, he doesn't do it without your permission. It's an invitation. It's a standing invitation for you. You simply have to invite him to do that work in your heart. And if you're in one of our locations and you're feeling like, you know, I'm not where I need to be with God and I really have been defined with a lot of things and I I want Jesus to rewrite my story. I want Jesus to give me a fresh start. If that's you, you invite him to do that right now in your own words. Say, Jesus, just would you give me a fresh start? I surrender all the past and and, and everything and me living the way I wanna live and I'm intrigued. I, I believe you are who you say you are, that you died on a cross for me to cover the stuff that I tried to do to make myself important or in charge and I don't want to I don't want to be my king I need you to be my king and I give you control of my life help me with next steps Jesus and as you pray that I want you to know he's making you new he's making you new he'll invite you into a process of learning his language learning his way learning his character but right now he's making you new believe that today for everybody else I want to pray maybe you're you're in love with Jesus but you want to make sure like God how do I stand firm in in this culture and am wise and harmless quick to listen and slow to speak and like how do I become more and more like you in a culture that desperately needs Jesus Can we pray that over our own families and our lives and our hearts? Jesus, it doesn't start with the White House. It starts with our house. It starts with our house. It starts with my heart. It doesn't start with my spouse's heart. It doesn't start with my kid's heart. It starts with my heart, my temple, the temple of the Holy Spirit, my life. And I invite you, Jesus, be the king of my house. Be the king of our house. Be the king of our home. Be the king of our marriage. Be the king of our families. Be the king and the ruler of this community and this state and this nation and this globe. Because whether we call you king or not, you are king. You are victorious. You are great. You are mighty. And there's nothing you cannot do. And so we relinquish the throne of our hearts and we place you back on the throne have your way and we will trust you for what is next we say it all in the name of jesus and everybody said amen